Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Philip Virus. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Stuart, for having me. That's awesome. Well, well, it, it is absolutely my pleasure because, uh, and I'll give people, we're, we're, we're here to discuss Freak Scene, the story of Dinosaur Jr., a documentary that you made about Dinosaur Jr. But before, before we get into it, I'd, I'd just like to give the listener a bit of a history lesson for me. I've, I've realised in the preamble that the pair of us, me, me and Philip, are both children of 71. Right. But in terms of Dinosaur Jr., um, 1988 was the... was October 1988 was the year... was when Bug came out. In that month, Superfuzz Big Muff came out and Daydream Nation came out. That's essentially three pillars of my listening life came out while I was 16 years old. And it was only really watching your watching your film and the closing track of Bug, which is Don't, which gets gets played at the the reunion gigs at the, at the end of the film. And, in, and this is hindsight talking. This, I didn't know this at the time. But mm. Don't was a real gateway for me for so much noisy music in later life. Like, I had no idea. Because Freak Scene was a tune I heard at clubs when I was a teenager, alongside Touch Me, I'm Sick by Mud Honey. So, and that, you know, and Freak Scene is a lovely, melodic, sort of post-Neil Young kind of grungy, proto-grunge tune. But yeah, no, don't. I tolerated it at first because I had no idea, I had no reference points for it. But it was on the same album as Freak Scene. So you keep listening to it and you keep, you know, as, as, of, as was the time, you know, physical record you listened to, didn't you? So I learned to live with it. And I think it kind of, Opened up my my ears, I suppose, to to accept that as being exciting. And it's interesting that Kim Gordon, Henry Rollins, chose that song as a one as one to perform with Dancer Junior. Which you know, it's not the obvious one, but watching the documentary, maybe it is. The other the other side of this story is like looking looking at the imagery in your film as well. I'll, I will stop the history lesson. We will get onto your film. Is that a I had a Sonic Live T shirt like Lou Barlow's. B, I bought a smiley face with a bullet in the head after I saw the photograph of Jay wearing it. It's in. It was really you really took me down memory lane uh, with this with this film. So for 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 me personally, congratulations, an amazing piece of work. Thank you, man. It's really funny because everything you're saying since we have really the same year is it's it's kind of parallel UK Germany. It was exactly the same. I got into only that I discovered Sonic Youth later. I was, of course, at the early Martani shows in Berlin. I was at the Freak Scene uh, at Dinosaur Junior at their first mm. gigs in Berlin in 87, I think. And everything you're saying, I, you know, hope to come across with, you know, the certain energy, the 88, these couple of years where 
you know, my, as well, my ear and perception of noise music and loud guitars and this whole grungy punk sound became so inspiring and as well forming for my own, you know, for everything, like mm. in terms of music taste and stuff. And there were other elements during that time as well. There was the hip hop coming, getting better and better, mm. you know, so it's like, really exciting time and i just hope you know to give people as well the smiley i i we copied that in berlin mm. the shirt as well with shay it was a german magazine specs magazine who put that on a cover mm. and we copied jay i had long hair we walked around with smiley he was even a, a fashion icon for us during that time <laughs> so it's really cool to hear what you just told me it's exactly <laughs> mirrored in germany well, well, I mean, Germany was important for grunge in Britain because Glitterhouse was was the label yeah. that was giving was yeah. in, that was giving the music into. We were getting it into Britain via Glitterhouse, which is a German label, as I yeah. as I remember. So you know that 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 time was was a really energetic moment for for sort of indie alternative music because it had been this kind of. I guess local sound, I guess for the want of a better expression, you know, you know, Britain had its indie music and stuff, but then suddenly there was this kind of. I mean, it had been growing, I suppose, with, you know, post-punk and everything, but Husker Du and stuff never never really came, went above ground. And I think it was the perfect, I mean, it's almost like the, the, the period just before, the calm before the storm, because by 91, mm. as, the, as the film title goes, the year that punk rock broke. And I think, I think what they meant was it broken as opposed to it broke through, because the major yeah. labels signed up the bands. And, and Mike, uh, uh, Azarad's book, Our Band Could Be Your Life, covers this brilliantly. It's like 1981 to 1991 was this brilliant period of people. Yeah. And I think Henry Rollins touches on it in your documentary. You know, it's like this idea of people making music for themselves and not really yeah. understanding who the audience was, but finding one. <clears throat> yeah. But I'm getting ahead of myself here with this uh, with these record elections. But you make it makes me very happy. Um, to feel like I was on the, I was on a right. It was like you don't know what path you're on, dear. You? And obviously, looking back, it's totally right. Like what for me it was as well so interesting that uh, you know it came all at the same time, like mid '80s, heavy metal music, Slayer, all these bands. Like they were all guitar extremes, and but I have to say, Dinosaur really had this amazing mix of everything for my taste as a teenager you know like so for we were like coming from punk as a kid i listened to punk rock music you know and then like uh we discovered of course husker du and all the american uh post-punk bands however you want to call it which made the lead into the you know into harder music in indie and so it was always funny. We we were like there was a better subculture than now, you know. Like there were, you had like punks, you had teddy boys, you had rockabillies. It was all really active. You could get kicked ass from skinheads everywhere, or like I don't know. There was a real approach of subculture as well because there was only mail order and vinyl, you know, and flyers you had to really. Nowadays, you have like Amazon and your phone. You just don't have to do anything to receive anything. And we had to really go dive deep into certain subcultures to get the satisfaction. And 
you know, when an album came out, you, you were completely satisfied and happy to, you know, it was like Christmas. You would find it or you would order it and then you would listen to it with friends. And it was like a way more, you know, approach. You had to do something to receive it. And I kind of miss that sometimes a little bit, if I have to say the energy, the you know, a little bit more punk attitude nowadays would be great. <laughs> what we had during that time. No, no, totally. No, I, I mean, I mean, I remember um, how I how I discovered Nirvana uh, for myself. Obviously, I didn't discover Nirvana for anyone. Um, only for myself mm. is that in 88, 89, I was studying at a college that was across the road from a, from a record shop, X Records in Bolton. Now, I used to go in there a lot, so the guys knew me. So then you've, when you've reached that level where the guy in the shop starts talking to you about what's coming in, you've kind of, you've reached a, a new level, haven't you, in terms of your... Exactly. And he gives me, he shows me Bleach and says, I think you'll like this. They sound like mud honey. That was the only, that was the, ex, that was the conversation. I didn't even listen to it. I just bought it and took it home. Totally. I had the same thing with Bleach. It blew my mind. I, I was such a fan of Bleach when it came out. Mm. And all our friends, so we were really celebrating it. And uh, I saw as well the early Nirvana shows, then the Nevermind came out, and I really loved it. But it took a year till it got big somehow. Mm. I, I already overheard it. I had to stop listening to it when it became big, because it came out and it took along for the mainstream industry uh, to, you know, to bring it in everybody's home. But when it came out, it was a blast. And I saw as well the shows, like, and there were not many people, which was, I mean, it was full, but not, mm. there was a hype, a cool, a cool, a coolness hype about it. Mm. Uh, but it was not uh, 2,000 people audiences, you know, more 300, 400. Mm. So this whole time was really exciting and led to so much other experiments, you know, where I got totally triggered by you know throughout till now you know like i'm 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 really it's funny that jay became my brother-in-law you know like i would it's kind of crazy because i would this is the only band i started when the band started and i stayed with that band mm. as a fan uh and i even painted the first dino cover as a teenager at art, art school made a remake of it ah. the other one just left the left the sun in the corner and made a new thing, and it's still hanging over my parents' bed. So it's kind of funny. In eighty, when the record came out in Germany, I would do artworks, and the picture was like hanging over my parents' bed as a mm. present. So, and then he became my brother-in-law. So that is kind of cool. Very cool. You know, as a very cool. Now that that sort of answers half the first question. So so um, if Jay's your brother-in-law, where does the conversation between you and your brother-in-law begin and start to ferment into what becomes Freak Scene the documentary? When I met Jay, I met Jay in '93 at a at a wedding, mm -hmm. and for me, I you know I was coming. My sister moved to New York as a model was really connected with the music scene. I think it started that Evan Dando came, Lemonheads played in Berlin, and they would hang out. He would come to my parents' house for Christmas, which was crazy. He was like, as crazy as we know about Evan. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Like, good-looking, super talented, 
guitar player and songwriter. So I enjoyed that. And I would arrive in, in New York in 91 and would be there every year because Jesse Parrott's his band member is a video music video director who did like as well uh, the Foo Fighters videos, early ones, the first one. Okay. So I would witness the film, the filming of short films and music videos in New York, which inspired me and made me so psyched. I was already doing photography. Uh, I would start, I have maybe a certain video autism or photo autism because my neighbor, Alec Empire, who is the singer of the band Atari Teenage Riot, mm. uh, he's like next door. We grew up in one street, we're early friends. And at, my dad had a video camera. So I had from 96 on already I would film video live shows and he had a band. So oh. I was already very interested in uh, if I have a camera live, I would film or photo camera. So 91, I arrived. Then 93, I met Jay at a wedding. There was the Smashing Pumpkins just came from studio recording for Siamese Dream. They were all Bullet La Volta members at the wedding. And then I, I was like in a dream, dream setup. And then <laughs> all of a sudden, Jay clashes, crashes into the party in a purple uh, suit and a cowboy hat and a gift where I had to laugh so much, a, a, a stone duck, a duck made out of stones. And that was so absurd. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can't believe it. My favorite kind of music, music artist, he's really here. So he had an easy, you know, to, I was a fan and of course interested. So we started talking and, um, People looked at us, his manager, David Billick, uh, Jane Billick was Nirvana manager as well. She was wondering, oh, wow, these guys really talk. Jay is talking so easy. So it was really funny. And we became right away friendly, you know, like without, he liked as well. I did already for short films with uh, Alec having soundtrack done and the first two Atari videos, which were really digital, hardcore, new at that time. Mm. So Jay is a hardcore fan and he liked it immediately, you know, and they even sampled one riff for a track uh, of Dinosaur and called it Riot, just Riot, you know, just one riff sample. So <clears throat> that made like all that made us friends and Jay would even, you know, he, he invited me to Alaska right away to maybe do a photo shoot. So we would go to Alaska to look for pumpkin, big strawberries, which supposed to grow there. Which we didn't found. <laughs> <laughs> so we had the mission to go to Alaska to a, a strawberry field where pumpkin, big strawberries to make a photo, like in the, on the first album, but with Shay in strawberries. Mm. We did found it, but we were going to Mount McKinley and to the weirdest places, and I made photos. So that was my first collaboration with Jay, and he liked my my music videos. So over the years, we uh, I would do as well the last Dinosaur Junior video in '97, and so we we became friends and collaborators artistically. Mm, okay. And that's so. So with that, with, with that collaboration in mind, then so where where did the 
energy come to go make a documentary then? Because there's one thing to be to get on and be collaborators. There's another to take on the task of making a documentary. Yeah, I would. Um, Jay was so cool that when I played him Atari Teenage Ride, that he would take them as a support band for some really cool Euro gigs. Mm. So they would. Uh, we showed up in Amsterdam, Alec and me and the band. And I was already uh, supported by an uncle who gave me a really amazing Beaulieu uh, camera, which the uh, Nouvelle Vague used often. Yeah, you could yeah, yeah, rewind yeah, yeah. the film mm. and double exposures. So I had 16 millimeter on board and I would just film whenever I could. And Dinosaur, so my first uh, recordings on film about Jay were in 95 in Hamburg and Amsterdam. There as well in the movie. And ah, okay. so I realized, oh my God, I love that so much. So when Dinosaur broke up, there was a short silence about him, but he would do the Jay Maskus and the Fock. Mm. touring an album with uh, Mike Watt on the bass. So I would immediately, then the music, uh, the video age, the mini DV uh, cameras popped out in 97. Mm. So I would be like really flexible and could film hours, you know? So yeah, I, yeah. I would film always the whole shows and whatever. And nobody cared because I'm a friend and they forgot about my little box in the hand. Mm. So I had really luck. And I would film, if Jay would come to Berlin, I would usually have it filmed for myself or even with other people. There's a lot of multi-cam recordings from Berlin. We right. did. And, you know, then the Stooges thing happened that Jay, Mike Watt and the Ashton brothers uh, toured in 2003 and made the tribute to the Stooges of the first album, The Fun House. And then the real reunion happened in 2005. And uh, my sister was marrying Jay in 2004, I think. So when the reunion happened, I was really often as well in the States. And we witnessed everything. And I would record as well everything. And then we got a job off the band to do a reunion DVD. And we did that. And that's where kind of in 2006... I would say the idea to start documenting seriously the band became, uh, okay. you know, like an action. And we selected, then it was really, I mean, time passed. Uh, indie labels wouldn't give money or we would do DIY financing. Mm. Uh, Jay supported it by flying me over often or I could be on tour, you know, like as a friend and, you know, and... Jay always said, I don't know if this film will ever be finished, but <laughs> and there was the time, all right, that's interesting. Now we have everything. Uh, there were the first people interested in the US in 2016. I was sitting with a company, a big company, and they wanted me to do a six series, a mini series oh, wow. about the band. So I wrote the script for it, but then somehow there were like some weird things that another person at the end who was supposed to help making it realizing wanted to do it herself. So there was, I had to kind of cancel it and maybe it got canceled because I didn't want it to hand it over to somebody else, you know? Uh -huh. So 
But then I found partners in Germany, uh, they're called Rapid Eye Movies, and they're basically re responsible since the mid-90s to bring Japanese and Asian movies and Indian movies to Europe. So they kind of introduce all these films on DVD to the European audience and they were got really big and an amazing taste. And I was anyway mm. inspired by Japanese uh, films a lot, you know, like end nineties was a great, great time for a lot of feature films from Japan, which blew my mind. So I knew these people since a long time and I run into the boss <laughs> at a film festival where we came from the toilet. <laughs> and I said, hey, how are you? And he said, hey, good, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm looking for Dinosaur Junior documentary funding. And I said, sounds good. Let's talk about it. So it's really been a combination of a sort of labor of love for you that you were constantly documenting them anyway. And then, yeah. and then it kind of reached yeah. a point of critical mass where it's like, hold on a minute, we should make the movie. Yeah, the movie, uh, the uh, the not made movie, screamed to me in my unconscious. I want to get done now. Mm. Fuck it, stop it and get get it done. So, at some point, it really was like that. And I prepared, like I went to Jay's to get some interviews uh, in winter, and I I I had to prepare something like a 10 minute preview for the rapid eye people mm. that they know what I plan on. And that led to a 45 minutes edit already. Like I couldn't stop then. It was awesome. So I noticed, Oh wow, this is going good. If there's money, you know, and we only were looking for post-production mm. um, funding. And so I, I just needed, wanted to get paid that the edit is done. So, and that happened. And it was as well, really crazy uh, process because there are maybe 600 hours of footage. God, yeah. On, yeah. Two, on two hard disks altogether, like 12 terabyte from all, you know, from all different years. And um, I already collected, I, I was really happy that uh, Lee Ronaldo of Sonic Youth had a video camera already in 86. So he would film the young dino boys and Sonic Youth themselves really young in their 20s doing the evil tour together. And he supplied me with amazing, really early footage. And then I found out about a fan from the US who is like a professor, archive professor, like a really, uh, like studying it. And he collected every show ever taped like dear me it was insane <laughs> yeah 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 like so there were two video nerds totally getting together a lot of stuff i got from the band yeah the original footage he had copies and the copies and so we would like team up and would meet when i would be in the states and go through everything and that was a big help you know to as well to have year by year like uh, many bands because of the video technology uh you know there was footage of nearly every year or every show so it was really exciting but a big mountain can i go back to something you said before because i think this is something that before i was going to speak to you and before i knew that you had the relationship with jay and stuff is that you said that when you first met him the manager and people were going 
oh look, Jay's Jay's talking. And like, and I think that Jay talking is a notoriously when in, when I used to read his interviews, certainly in the late eighties, early nineties yeah. in the English music press, it was like how difficult it was to get two sentences out of out of Jay. Uh, and I was I was fortunate enough to interview him when he was promoting the, the Jay Maskers and the Frog and the Fog in the in the noughties. Mm-hmm. And before I was doing, and I was nervous because I was re- I was aware of this this reputation for not talking. And uh, a, 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 interestingly, a German photographer friend of mine who lives in Britain now, she w- she photographed him for Kerrang or something like that. And apparently, he never said a word the entire photo shoot. Like she's talking away, and he never said a word. And then when the photo shoot was finished, Jay Jay just stops and says, "Do you dream in English or German?" And that, was, that was his only conversation, the entire photo shoot. And so, and when I spoke, I mean, as, as you can, t- I've done a podcast for a long while and I think talking to you, you can tell I like talking. And so I had to sort of, and I'm on the phone to Jay with, with an early notice phone call. So there's a, de- there's a delay on the conversation and I'm having to just stop myself every time I ask a question, waiting for... You're right. Totally right. Totally right. What you did is smart thing. Jay is talking to people, but he he needs. Uh, my, it's exactly what I always say when, like in the last interviews for the film, a lot of journalists and I can understand it. They come to make a question, and then there's no answer, and then the seconds can get cruel. I mm. believe mm. the seconds of silence can be really annoying. Mm. So Jay, but Jay is not, you know, not you know, getting, he just forms maybe his thoughts and it takes a while. Mm. So in the moment he would answer, people would ask him already the next question. (laughs) And that's where often (laughs) a lot of silence came. But as he admits for himself, he was, he can, he could be quite an kind of bad boy about it. Like he was kind of, I don't want to say it. He could be me. In and would ignore it or like it wasn't always that he you know that he needed time to answer mm. he was just often like he had the right attitude or was like having a bad day and he would just not being in the mood to mm. answer it's possible as well but i found out over the years mostly it's that he needs a moment to answer and you have to wait till it comes out even now i'm like on the phone with him uh, we're talking about stuff. Sometimes it takes really 30 seconds or stuff. And if it's a question who is essential, I just wait. <laughs> and yeah. At some point, I hear that, yeah, yeah, maybe it's kind of funny. Like I'm used to it, so it doesn't bother me. But I can understand if strangers, you know, put get put fuel in the fire and they just can agree that he's not talking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, because I mean, that's, that's a bit, that was my experience is that because I, yeah. I just left, the, I let the question hang, he eventually answered. We had a wonderful conversation about British oi music and he loved it. You know, it was like, it was, a, and that was a big surprise for me. He really loves, like, it's so funny that maybe, uh, I think that all from that people of that generations or that time who were involved as a musician or as a consumer or fan, I think it all um, bonded the energy together or like it all put everybody somehow with the energy together Mm. because people 
listen to punk and everybody who witnessed punk rock music in form of hardcore or whatever that had for me it's such a big impression and i would i would uh, listen to punk rock when i was like 13 14 from hardcore to oil music from champ 69 to you know and especially british music had a very important impact on me from the clash to sex business whatever and Jay is a big hardcore oi fan as well. Mm. He was never listening, of course, to uh, right-wing oi, mm. but the energy, or like we would all be anti-fascist, but the energy of, you know, a lot of stuff just was so awesome and had an impact on the music. And you hear it even in Dinosaurs still, mm. that their live shows, you have like all these... You have songs, kind of hits, you have normal, then you have like total noise solely, but then you have as well the fast punk rock hardcore track in a live set, which could be the oi or something. So it's interesting how, yeah, all these past punk rock elements have still maybe somehow an impact on the on a live show of the band. But I think I think it plays into what you were saying before about I think it plays into that idea of of when 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 you used to discover music because it was interesting you know that that it would have just been a record that Jay would have dis- would have got hold of plays the record and like I've not heard anything like this there's no context around it it's just this is an extreme record and I've found another one kind of thing and it was yeah. and, and and in that because there was no internet just to go and check it out and I was I was interested I, I was interested in it like. Like I said at the start, I, I got on board with Dinosaur Jr. at Bug. And what I didn't know at the time, and it took me years to find out, because I honestly didn't, because I, I never thought to look. I never thought there was a soap opera behind the band that obviously you're documentary. I, uh, me either. <coughs> I didn't know it either. That the story I investigated was like an investigation like Columbo or something, mm. you know? By, by talk with the fans, I was, for example, not, um, I didn't follow Sabado. I, I knew that he is he left the band. But see, I, I did, no you see. End. You see, I did. And that was kind of for me, was the I knew Lou had left and formed Sebado, but I didn't realize kind of the schism that had happened at the time. And and it's weird to yeah. think that this album that I that I that I love so much is kind of the product of the aftermath of Dinosaur Jr. as was. You know, Polito yeah. that's on that's on You're Living I All Over it. Me. I really loved it. And that was what led me to Sebado. So by 91, I'm listening to Sebado 3 and thinking this is yeah. the most amazing thing since sliced bread. And at the same time, you've got Green Mind and The Wagon. And mm. they just sat side by side for me. It wasn't like it was it was anything particularly same wrong. Same here. Like our friend, uh, my friend Christoph Ellinghaus, he's the city slang okay. uh, record company. Guy mm. who he he signed, I think Sabado was on his label. So for me, I love just Jay's guitar play. Maybe that's why I followed more Jay mm. because of his guitar. I love the guitar play so much. But um, uh, the Sabado uh, Lou did amazing stuff, and I didn't know anything. I only heard ah, they don't they hate each other. That's the other Dino guy. Mm. I thought Lou has a better voice than Jay or at that time, or, you know, like from an, from the, uh, from the taste or something, but I couldn't identify anything too much, you know, too much information. And I found 
the whole uh, teenage drama about Jay and Lou. I found out by talking to Jay, all the bands. I basically researched during the interviews and, uh, you know, uh, footage and family members. So I didn't know about it as well till a couple of years. I, I, I knew that they, it was mad. Mm. And when I saw, when I found the footage of Jay and himself attacking, uh, Jay and Lou attacking themselves on stage, we have that in the movie, uh, spoiler alarm, but it's okay to mm. mention it. Yeah, then I even found the footage where, you know, like the, the aggressions even became physical. We have it in the movie and Poledo, for example, you mentioned the track Poledo mm. on the You're Living All Over Me album. That had an amazing effect on me. We were, I was at home alone. My ma was, my parents were gone and we had our first uh, cookie with, uh, uh, with marijuana in, as a, you know, what, what you do in the 80s. And I was like flying away on Polito. Mm. So it's kind of funny, like, you know, I sometimes think maybe at that night I saw the scene which we have in the film. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But that whole soap opera that you cover is brilliantly summarized by Kim Gordon when she says that yeah. it's really a psychotic family, there's a certain psychotic state that is being in a band. This band that was formed out of three people that came together at school, and then as they get yeah. older, they become their individual selves, which is who they want to be, and yeah. it begins to not fit, but they're in a band, and that plays into that. Like, so it's like, you know, like you, you, you pick your friends, but not your family. It's almost like you don't pick your band in a way. You kind of, once you've got a band, you're stuck with them like family. It's totally like that. I love as well Kim's appearance because as a, the, it's so wise and smart yes. as well from, uh, she was a, a real time uh, witness of, of them, you know, mm. and anyway, it's such a pleasure to watch and how she talks in the film. I really mm. love it. And she just sums it up, as you said, so perfectly and, you know, for example, Jay, he's saying something else about, you know, I, I realized that a band has its own, you know, it's, it's one body, like, like uh, Charles of mm. the Pixies describing it in a weird way. You yeah, know? Yeah. So it's, a band is one conscious, maybe no matter how many individuals are involved, but the body is the group mm. at the end of the you know, and that body was just not functioning anymore. And then, of course, something gets sick. And that's what happened. For example, Jay always this, uh, saying, yeah, these days I buy a guitar and I hope the body gives me a, a new song. Okay. I find a new song in this body, you know, and a band is like that as well. It's about energy. It's getting together uh, for the band. Maybe the three first years were, that's why the band was so good because there was the tension. It was always that mm. if tension in the band uh, triggers that it can be competition, it can be just hate, it can be anger, you know, so many elements, but mm. it has an impact on the music. And Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. 
Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. We have many examples in music history that it is like that. So mm. I think the anger Jay and Lou had for themselves at some point maybe made the band even better. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, possible yeah. Or that. But but also it's it's, it's, it's that it's that but it's that kind of anger that only really exists that you only really get through like sibling rivalry. It's almost like you know the the unconditional yeah. love of each other is the reason why they don't easily walk away. Because if you're, if you're friends with somebody, you can kind of choose your friends and sort of think, oh, I won't bother. But in a band, you kind of, that unit, you go, you know that some things work well. So yeah. so you wouldn't want to destroy it all. You you try and work through. But obviously, I, know, I mean, getting stuck in the desert on a tour for a week, if it wasn't a meta, if it was a metaphor, it'd be perfect. But the fact it really happened yeah. to sort of, you know, and, a ba- and, and I think it plays in, you know, I think people not who've not been in bands or not worked with bands don't realize how little money there is, how you know, yeah. how uncertain your future is, and the idea of being stuck somewhere. Hey, it's like being stuck on an island. What we always say, hey, what kind of book or which person would you take if mm. you're stuck on an island? Yeah. And that in a really weird abstract way, that happened to them emotionally. Yeah. That they were Wrapped in one hotel room together. They had no money. I even witnessed it as a teenager. I was with not so much money on one uh, travel with a friend. And we were like getting like, we would get upset if somebody or my friend got upset that I once got a bigger portion for the same price or stuff. So it's, <laughs> it has. It's like you're a child, you know, you're mm. 15, 16. The band was, I think, 18, 19 or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. So it's like irrational things, not understandable for an outsider, but maybe understandable if you witnessed it yourself, how exactly what you said, that you have no money, you don't know if you make it to the next city, uh, you are stuck there, then, you know, there's like all the energy, all the anger gets out. And that's what probably happened to them. And we have that in the movie, like a weird David Lynch moment, like where you're like, ah. When, when you had all those terabytes of information and obviously you went out and did some contemporaneous footage as well, how, how did you... How did you map out or pull together what is the narrative of Freak Scene? Somehow I decided for myself somehow you have to start somewhere, you know, like with a big, you're standing in front of the Mount Everest and there are many ways and you choose one up. So it mm. felt like that, like that as well. So I was alone uh, doing it and I just, to, to get into it, I decided that I, I tried to go from the timing that I don't run or switch to, to tell the story. It doesn't matter now, then, later, it didn't matter if the footage is new or people talk over it, but I wanted to have it that it starts with the start of the band and we kept it. I forgot the English word. So it's chrono- chronological, chronological order. 
I decided to do it chronologic to start because, of mm. course, kind of it's my past and the youth uh, of the band is such an exciting time. And that's where a lot of stuff happens. And it's very interesting. So I started like that. And how oh, interesting, how, knowing, knowing now what I know just from our brief conversation, how did you keep giving your own sort of parallel history of being a fan? Was 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 part and parcel of it. How did you keep yourself separate from the story? Because obviously, it would have been easy for you to put yourself in it and go. And this is what was. Happening. You know, it's interesting as well that you say that. For example, I had a business partner um, who joined me. I was like uh, here in Berlin doing a lot of music video projects and live recordings for DVD. Mm. We had a. I had a partner and uh, my ex-girlfriend was on board as well. So we would follow Dino with a car full of cameras. And there was, for example, my, my business partner. He liked the idea that we are filmed as well as like, you know, that it has a more road movie character. Yeah. And I don't know why, but I always didn't like the idea. You know, I thought it's not about us or me. Mm. And, um, you know, it's it's an approach, an idea. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's an okay idea. But that, when uh, that was done, it was 2005. So when I, in 2018, finally had funding to go into editing, I realized, ah, it's a film about them and not me or us or anything. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not in the movie. Even I'm, I didn't, I think there's one frame I put in as a joke where you see Kevin Shields, me and Jay mm. being at the reunion in Reading in the backstage, but it's a frame only because we have like, I, I have like one moment in the film where there's basically from 85 to 2018 or 19, uh, just frame by frame, 25 different frames from that time till, mm. so like a time lapse of their history and there's one frame of me but i kept myself out and i uh, i went in editing to do the raw edit my my fan autism <laughs> or something how i would call it was more that i there's a four-hour version of course about it with so much stuff more and of course not as compressed but the raw edit for the film is basically four hours band and other uh, time witnesses talking about the band, all details, more. And of course, we filtered emotionally as well a lot of stuff. So of course, the film wouldn't be a four-hour thing. But how we condensed it now, uh, my producer Stefan uh, of Rapid Eye Movie was at the end with me at the edit and was really liberating for me to have as well a third brain involved, you know, mm -hmm. like the to, to kind of censor my private and fan attaches, you know, to yeah. the project. So, and here's exactly, I think, Jay's age. So that was a great help, you know, to filter out as well the necessary or, you know, that it stayed like really on the band only, you know. So I had help from my producer in the most important moments about it. And we, so 
at some point we were at an 82-minute 80, version and I was really excited. There will be a DVD release next March, which will have, of course, a lot of really cool bonus features. Excellent, you know? excellent. But, yeah, because we, we decided the edit I did if something from the long in the long version there's so much amazing stuff so we kept it as well like a record so the a we called it the the main edit is the a side yeah and the stuff which didn't made it on the a side is the b side that will be later for the dvd so Fantastic. the b side yeah so there's a b side of the film and this is like i think in two weeks i start taking it all out and we will uh, prepare it for the release in March in Germany. Hmm. So all European DVD formats or, you know, the streaming, uh, this will take a little bit because now, of the funding and no, there's like all the, but we get probably later to it. So no, I was going to say the whole we, I was going to say the, the practicalities of what you've described so far of making this film, you've got your footage, you've got that super archivist, you've got Lee Ronaldo, doing stuff um you've got your contemporaneous stuff um from a from a kind of copyright point of view um when you when you're making this film and getting things cleared what what represented the sort of biggest challenges in terms of clearing stuff so you could have it in the film was that was there any aspects of it that were kind of, that were because obviously it becomes a it can become just a simple choice of can we afford it can we not I know people that have made music documentaries where that's literally no, it's no longer an artistic decision. It's just can we afford to have this in, and how much do we want yeah, it in? It was, I was crazy. I have to say, I would not think. I would just put in the film what I liked, mm -hmm. uh, and Jay is as well a producer of the movie. Uh, like at the end, like uh, we uh, we uh, have Dinosaur or Jay as a co-producer in the film because he supported the film. Mm -hmm. He put a lot of money in my travel and invested a lot of money as well that this is possible. Yeah. And um, I didn't care too much about the stuff till we were done. Ah. <laughs> then. <laughs> is that a good idea? Because is that a good idea? Guys, Oh snap! Uh, my producer said, "All right, so but you know that we need like clearances." And then I said, "Yeah, you know, uh, all right, of course. Um, most of the stuff I have the names, and I will I will make it happen." So when it came, when we were done, I had to deal with it, and I hated myself for it because it is like really research like i always say i i'm a colombo fan so i'm a crime story fan and i like really complicated cases mm. but for me it was really private investigator work because i had to investigate on pictures which i didn't know the copyright holder of course and i had like really it took quite a while to you know to make it happen and to contact the people have them answer. Uh, there's a lot of friends involved in the film. Uh, Jay's friends who took the most important people, mm -hmm. uh, the most important mm -hmm. photos. 
So a lot of groundwork was already clear, but then there was a lot of unknown people. I had to find out names, emails, and I had to do it by myself. So it was a kind of painful Blimey. for a couple of months. And then I had to, um, you know, often people then think once you you don't know them, that you are doing the blockbuster film here. And they thought that there's like, a lot of money involved when there isn't, you know, right. and I I had to really be on a, a carpet market sometimes about, you know, people thought that there's a lot of money to get from me when there wasn't. And I had to make them realize it, but somehow it worked out, you know, like I was tough for me. I'm not a, you know, when it comes to financial business, making deals i'm like i had to do it but i didn't like it i think i like to ask documentarians that i've had on before is 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 about is about what what did you what did you learn about the subject that you was that surprised you that you didn't know going into it now obviously your story starts almost like in the 90s and and the mythology of this documentary that'll never get made. It's a joke between you and Jay, and then it reaches this mm. point of where it's got to break through the glass ceiling and be made. Mm. So when you when you're in that mode of we're making a documentary now, as opposed to I'm archiving and documenting Dinosaur Junior and Jay, what for you was a big surprise? Into was there any surprises for you to discover in the process of making what became the narrative of Freak Scene? Yeah, there was like, it was always like I, I, my philosophy, I, I love, you know, I believe in the power of chaos and the moment mm. in uh, come where or situations where you put into in your life. Yeah. So I'm flexible every day and I learn every day, you know, and the process of putting the film together taught me so much because I have now, I know how to do a documentary by myself. It's all homemade. I did the edit on my iMac at home. Mm. So um, that made me really strong in a way uh, to, um, yeah, to start and doing it. And for example, I had really, of course, I was never sure. We showed Jay the film when the film was done. It was a big risk. So I came to New York uh, to the. Hold on a second. East hold on a second. Coast. You you you've pulled the film together and then you're showing Jay what you've done. Yeah. Oh wow. Go on. Tell me more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was crazy. I mean, I was so happy that everybody gave me the you know the trust mm. in doing that and that they gave me really freedom. Management. Everybody was not saying anything to me till I showed anything. And Jay is the deciding person and i wanted as well uh already in the contracts or anything as a fa when you're family and we are he's uh the husband of my sister you have to be even double careful yeah, you know yeah, you yeah. even sounds like oh yeah it sounds hey your family no it's even more dif difficult because yeah. there's no fuck up allowed or from my end mm. i had the uh, uh, that was my mission, no fuck-ups allowed, which could interfere with our relationship. And I mean, that's a big deal if you make a movie. Yeah. I granted Jay the right from the beginning that he has word on the final cut. 
I thought that's important as well for me. You know, he has to be good. He has to feel good with the film about himself. Mm. And I, I'm not doing a, you know, a boulevard a documentary where I want to uh, spit on everybody and be sensationalist uh, on bathing and Jace and lose anger or, you know, mm. putting fuel in the fire. It was different. I thought we were really sensitively. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not, it's not, you've not, you've not done what they call a puff piece. I mean, it's, it's definitely, yeah. it definitely confronts the problems between the individuals. I mean, yeah. and I made a note that, you know, you could argue at some point the way the way the story's told and the way they talk about each other, where you go, there's a fine line in, in terms of yeah. Jay between being yeah. enigmatic being enigmatic and just being yeah. a wanker. I mean, it's like this. Totally. A, and totally. you don't you don't you don't have to you don't have to say that explicitly because it's there in the in the conversations. It's like, but it was really yeah. interesting to hear that, to sort of think begin to think that. That and we do it, and you know, that's a rock star thing, isn't it? We do it with rock stars all the time. We let people off lots of frailties because we go, yeah, but the music's good. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for it was exactly like you're saying, it was, um, I mean, Lou was harsh and tough as well. And my idea was like, hey, the, 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 the first edit was my, I mean, it was so many edits and then more stuff got mm. thrown in, but... The story, the raw, raw edit is only the band talking. And that was my philosophy. You know, mm. that everybody can say what he likes. You know, there is no censorship from my end. Mm. There is, of course, you you at some point, you, okay, this maybe is too harsh to say. Of course, there's a sensitivity, you know, to make everybody hurt, but not to put fuel in the fire, you know, mm. afterwards. I don't have to, you know, have to have an opinion about it. I show it what happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, when today, so I came to 2000, uh, 2019 to the States with a film in the package to my sister's birthday. So there was a big celebration. <laughs> no pressure then. Was crazy. <laughs> was in the house, Megan Chess, but there were people in the building when I arrived um, for the festivities and it was insane. And I was so scared. I, I thought that we did a good job and I loved the band so much. And I hope that, it, you know, that it gets mm. that I'm representing it right, the right energy. And so Jay, I said, okay, then the second day I arrived, uh, I said to Jay, hey, do you want to check it out? And he said, all right, let's do it. And I was like, oh, shit, now pants down. <laughs> so he was in his working in the, on his desk in the living room, sit watching it the first time. I was in the kitchen with sweat, and I could have – I'm, I'm not a person who cries or something, but I had the feeling I want to cry now. Mm. You know, like, because so much – stuff what happens if he hates it he could say now i fucking hate it man all was possible and then my sister after 20 minutes passed by and jay did that to her ah okay it gave me that sign hey, i should i should say for the listen for the listener because we're only going to hear the audio you've just given me the thumbs up that jay gave to his wife your sister yeah and my sister came to me and said hey he gave me his thumbs up. He doesn't feel threatened by it. 
<laughs> so that was the first. That was after 20 minutes, the first. But but I guess feedback. that's I guess that's the sensitivity, isn't it? Because if you're allowing you to tell somebody yeah. else's story, then yeah, and then, then, then you've about, you've got you've got a point of view, and you're also melding lots of other points of yeah. view to tell that story. Yeah, and so I was like, I was like, okay, that's a good sign. And then he, um, then he watched it, and we. I mean, we didn't talk for hours about it, but maybe five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, it's, it's good. Like, he's surprised by it. It's rough. And he's really surprised by Murph. I mean, he knows about Lou and himself, but having Murph, kind of a red line between them. Murph talks a lot, you know, like, mm. and he is like a neutral version. So who is kind of, he loves Lou and Jay, you know, so he would be honest. And but I guess, I guess, I guess as well though, because Murph doesn't have the, the music career that Lou has after Dinosaur Jr. And when he was in Dinosaur Jr., he wouldn't have been the one doing interviews. So I guess your documentary becomes the first time in, I mean, not ever, but maybe one of the first times he gets to put on record what it was like being in Dinosaur Jr. Yeah. Because Everybody's asked Jay and everybody's asked Lou over the years in various interviews because it's yeah. always been a kind of bubbling story. But Murph's never been there. So yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. He is like a Switzerland, isn't he, in the in the band? Yeah, it's totally true. Like and and Murph, I mean, he's really smart in what he's saying. Mm. And Jay was really wow. And then it was interesting. So I was psyched that all didn't look too bad. And um then I went, uh, I got invited from the band to join the tour as well again, because mm. they had then a West Coast tour. And I got even invited to do visuals. So I had my whole package of the whole craziness and I did video mix of, of old videos. And it's a real psychedelic journey as well, as well a punk rock with flyers and huge projections. And it went great. And of course, I couldn't stop my video autism. So I even went on filming on that tour. And that was, thanks God, I did it. Because it gave the last the last round of touring, you know. Mm. And we had Kurt Weil on tour. He was fun. Another generation, you know, talking about Dino. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which nice, I nice thought bit, was well important. And so at the end, I went back to the editing right after it over Christmas and and Jay was cool like I showed him then the the what I did and he even came with a really amazing idea to put hey maybe we you put the end of us traveling for last time maybe that's a great end mm. so he even like had this great idea of you know how it's passion for yeah how yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like positioned and integrated what I filmed you. So really lucky it worked out. And, uh, you know, like that's what it became then. And uh, I was really happy uh, while I was clearing with everybody. Of course, I had to send it off everybody. The movie was watched by everybody who was on the screen. Mm. So I had to ask Henry, send them. And, you know, with rock stars, it's always anyway interesting. There's an abstract yes or no. It can be no answer, 
can be an answer, you know, mm. or something. So it was really interesting as well to hear the feedback of all these kind of rock icons we have in the film. Mm. And I was really happy that everybody really liked it and uh, everybody involved didn't feel ashamed to be part of it or, you know, or made it difficult. Or So there was like so far really helpful, you know, everybody was really helpful and people shouldn't forget as well. That's really, we had a minimum funding for the post-production, mm-hmm. you know, to have the color correction and the audio mastered right and the editing but it is a DIY film, you know, what we spend on the film. I don't think that we get that back somehow, you know, there's mm. like, basically since 94, five, I know Jay, Jay is coming into Germany so much. And I was on so many tours. So I just hope that it treats the band, right. And it, Transports the energy of their characters and their music, right? Well, you know, I think, but I think, but, main, but, but I think the mix, the main... yeah, I think the mix of media because of the the the, tra- the Travis of time, you know, when the footage was taken, the eight, the length of ba- the time the band has been around as a as a thing, and obviously the narrative arc of yeah. them coming back together was 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 a mm. lovely part, but but it, but in a way, the mixed media and the the, the story being told in hindsight was kind of like it gave it like a almost like an abstract painting quality to it because we're now looking at at media that's not that's we're not used to seeing anymore but it's almost part and parcel mm. of the memory of that you're trying to tell us it's like it's almost like the memory you know yeah. in, a, in a way that when you watch a black and white film it's hard to imagine the world in color it's like it's hard because you're so used yeah. to seeing that rough i mean i used to buy bootleg videos of vhs's of oh, and so to me, that's how I saw music live that I didn't physically get to go to, or even versions of gigs that I attended were in that totally. rough and ready kind of feel. So to me, that felt as authentic as anything that you could film today on a HD camera, because that's how it looked in 1991, you know, or that's how it looked in 87, you know, it's like, it's not. Exactly. It was a tech, we only had that traces of technology and we, I like, you know, I'm a music video director. I know surfaces and differences. And I'm, uh, I have to say it, like where I come from as an artist, I'm known from people, people called me even at Rotterdam Film Festival, a visual cannibal. So I would have, you know, I'm a new generation. And I was in the 90s, really a new generation playing with that digital technology the first time what electronic bands were able to do four or five years before. The same happened with video. Mm. So the Alec Empire and Atari people and we were about energy, you know, even unjust. Our content was about, you know, had punk elements and was anti-fascist, anti-racist, and, you know, the whole thing, the Mm. whole... So the visuals... Uh, I would do as well live video mixing in the 90s. And I, you know, like noise, a visual noise, creating visual yeah, yeah, noise. Yeah. And for me, it was as well really uh, a job to give the film and the footage a surface which fits, you know, with all the different, you know, it starts really, the film starts really like you said, the early, mid-80s video technology 
and rough and, you know, really um, um, raw, you know, and mm. it pumps up through the, uh, with the, with the quality of the footage. And I tried to include weird double exposures, psychedelic elements. I combined double exposed old footage with new footage when they're older and when they're young in one picture, which I thought was a great idea, you know, mm -hmm. when they have their reunion uh, shows, their first, where they're really back on stage again to start that. You have young Jay and young band uh, double exposed with the new reunion, reunited band. So mm -hmm. they're visually probably the the zeitgeist of each decade visually as well. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, 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 no, it's a good, And it's I a, like that. I was like playing with it and having fun at the end with it as well. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that there's a, te yeah, there's a, there's a kind of subtext of a technological journey as well as a band story journey at the same time, which is kind of nice. My daughter, my daughter, uh, the friends came, they're like in their, tra I, I became really early a dad, so I have a 23-year-old daughter and a 25-year-old son and it was funny when they came to to the screenings one friend said oh it's amazing that you have all these cool hip insta filters ah. <laughs> listen this is how footage looked like you know this is like uh, that's amazing you know, that's so cool that's, you know like they, she thought that i had uh, that I, I hey come on that's how you created noise pixels it has effects on which were that's the picture of that time you know and it's kind of funny of course i would play with it but it's like technically just as a music video person of course you play with anything with the content and surface of the picture so uh for me i had at the end one last thing philip um is that one last, there's a lasting thing that that I think will stay with me forever in terms of the as terms of your documentary is there's a sliding door moment in 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 the band's life where and it's only it's literally just it's just stepped over in your story because it's a it's obviously a minor moment but in con it, even though it's a minor moment it 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 could have been something else the idea that Jay gets invited to join Nirvana is something that my mind can't even contain. It's like, because <laughs> obviously bands that were touring, bands that were friends, I mean, you saw the grunge scene and everything, now band, band members interchange. So that's perfectly rational that, you know, Nirvana, Sonic Youth, no, no Dinosaur Jr., Dinosaur Jr. imploded. Hey, Jay, join Nirvana. But obviously that never happened. But the idea that that might have been a thing it blows my tiny mind. It always blows my mind. It was so funny. Jay is so so dry in his answers sometimes. When I ask him, of course, I ask him, it's, wait, wait, what happened? And he said, yeah, you know, the Kurt after the show came and they were sick of, or there was tensions with the guitar player. And, uh, you know, and, but I, or was the drummer? I don't remember right. And that's, but Jay, as he said in the film, he, the band was bigger than Nirvana at mm. that time. So, and he had, he was as well at a point, you know, he just lost, uh, it was in that time when Lou left and Murph. And then, for example, in the film where I, for example, at the time uh, Jay was playing with Mike Johnson mm. or all the, the time from 91 
till 97, you know, with the dinosaur, the practical dinosaur mob. Um, I didn't, I wanted to keep Lou, Jay, the original members to focus on. So that's why uh, people always ask me, say, hey, uh, some, I would have loved to have more of the uh, green mind time and stuff. And they're all infos about it, but I didn't go deeper into it because as well that I couldn't get uh, Mike Johnson somehow uh, okay. interviewed. It wasn't, somehow it wasn't working. I, I made a couple of efforts, but it didn't happen somehow. And I thought as well from the, from the story, you know, maybe it would have been different with that time. Uh, maybe it would have been more precise about that era of dinosaur, you know, from mm. 91 till the, but somehow because of that, I really, we decided to focus really on the original members as well, since they got back and it's, it had its own mm. human transaction somehow, you know, and its own story. So I kept uh, George Bertz and uh, Mike Johnson they're in it, but not as detailed in all details, even though the first, as I mentioned, the four-hour edit I did, yeah, yeah, there yeah. is a lot of more stuff, of course, in it. There's everything in it. So, But at the end, we when the fine-tuning of the film happened, it was clear that we really go on Lou, Jay, and Murph. You know that that's the red line storyline, and we stick to. The- I know that I could talk to you for a lot, lot longer than this. We can end up with two terabytes of conversation, yeah. which is, which would be nice. Yeah. But I don't think I'll do. I think we've got things to do today. So I, I'll just thank yeah. you for giving us your time on the Britflix podcast. Very happy we did that. No, me too. Me too. Freak seeing the story of Dinosaur Junior is out now. People can get it on VOD platforms where they get their VOD platforms. Um, and like you've already said in the interview. Come spring 2022, there should be a DVD with all these extras of that uh, of that big cut that uh, people won't see in the in the in the in the finished film. Yeah, and there will be still a lot of we're we're still doing the festival tour. There's mm. like we had the Germany and the UK, uh, we had theatrical releases, and this will spread on. We have new partners. Can't say the name yet, but. Mm. We have a US word, found US word distribution, a really good company we're really happy with. So the film will be spread properly next year in the US and throughout the world. And as I said, for Europe, there's a DVD release 8th of March. Brilliant, brilliant. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.